Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Good morning. It's good to have you here this morning. Uh, if you're a guest with us, thanks for being here. Uh, our hope for you is that you would see a resurrected Savior this morning. And if you're a member here, that's the same prayer. We want you to see Jesus. We want you to walk out of here loving him more. Um, my name is Matt Pryde. I'm one of the elders here at RCB. Um, so thank you so much again for being here. I'm looking forward to diving into the scriptures with you. Um, in 1998, I went on my first mission trip, and this was actually six years before I was a believer. And in fact, I would have considered myself an atheist, but when you're 17 years old and you're an atheist in a church-going family, then you're what I call a church-going atheist. And so there was a summer there in 98 where uh, my family went on the mission trip with the church down to Reynosa, Mexico. We were doing VBS for uh, uh, these, these kids in the community and doing various work projects uh, around the church. And it was a good time, but remember, I was not a Christian, and nor was I a person of high moral upstanding character. I was, however, adept at making very poor choices and bad decisions. And so I thought it was a good idea to get together with one of the guys that was my age on the trip, and the, the last night, before the last full day of work that we had there, we thought it would be a good idea to get, get completely wasted. The next day, I was in a world of trouble, both with my parents and the trip leaders, and ended up pulling hard duty in the sun in the summer in Mexico, uh, which doesn't go well after you've been drinking the night before pretty heavily. Fast forward to 2009. At this point, I've come to know Jesus. I'm now leading a college ministry at a, a large church outside of Houston. And one day, the missions pastor of the church approached me and asked me if I would be interested in leading a mission trip of high school and college students to Mozambique, Africa. And I was like, hey, that sounds good. What are we going to be doing? And so he, he rolled out this whole plan that we would be doing this Bible camp and using chronological Bible storying to tell the gospel to Mozambican students who didn't, didn't know Jesus. And that after we were done with the camp, that we would go to South Africa and go to Kruger National Park and go on a safari. And, and so uh, I, I decided that uh, my recruitment tool had been set. It wasn't the gospel ministry that we were going to do. It wasn't the deep relationships that we would form with one another and with the people there on the ground. Uh, it was the safari. Come to Mozambique with me. There's going to be lions. <laughs> what? Why do I tell you these stories? Three reasons. First, to illustrate my own ignorance that I have walked in for much of my life as to what the Great Commission is all about. I was more excited about traveling the world, fulfilling my own agenda, than I was about seeing divine image bearers come to a saving faith in a resurrected Savior. The second reason is to illustrate the fact that the Lord can overcome ignorance and unbelief to set us on a path of purpose and intentionality as it relates to this great commission. So I have not been drunk on a mission trip in over 23 years, which is nice. 
I no longer use safaris as my recruitment tool to mission trips. And I get the distinct honor and privilege of working full-time with a missions agency called World Venture, where I get to serve as a guide to people who are praying about what does it mean for me to go and serve cross-culturally, whether that's for short-term or whether I'm going to give my life to this. And the third reason I share these stories with you is because it is Mission Sunday, and churches all over the world are gathering together today to talk about the Great Commission, to talk about the Missio Dei, which is Latin for the sending of God or the mission of God. Here's the thing that we need to understand. The Missio Dei is not our mission. It's God's mission, and he invites us to join him on that mission. Missiologist David Bosch said it like this, it is not so much that God has a mission for his church, that God has a church for his mission. The distinction is important because God does not have something for us to do. God is doing something and he's inviting us along with him to be co-laborers with Christ. Because there is a massive problem on this planet. It is the problem of sin, and it's a problem that people don't know Jesus. And in fact, there are people on this earth who have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know his name. They don't know that he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died a sinner's death that we deserve, that he was buried in the grave, and that he rose three days later, effectively conquering Satan's sin and death. They don't know it. They've never heard it. There are people groups that have less than 2% of the population as evangelical Christian. They're what we call unreached peoples. And within that, there's a subset of unengaged people, meaning that there is no church planting strategy. There is no uh, critical mass to influence the rest of the population. This Unreached and unengaged people account for roughly 4.7 billion people. That's B, billion, around the world. That means that there are 4.7 billion people who have virtually no way to even hear that Jesus is a, a real person, that he was a real person, that he's God, and that he died to save them. It's 4.7 billion people that when they die, they will slip into a Christless eternity without ever having heard the gospel message. And my question is, when we have churches all over the U.S. and all throughout the West that are filled with people, why is this the case? Why do we still have 4.7 billion people who don't have access to the gospel? I think ultimately it boils down to three things. Christians are either ignorant, they're poorly equipped, or they're flat-out disobedient to the gospel call to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. And if we want to honor the Lord, if we want to see him move in our lives, we must move beyond these things. We have to remedy our ignorance. We have to figure out how to get equipped, and we have to stop disobedience in its tracks so that we could submit to him and walk in his ways. Before we jump into the text today, I want to open us in prayer, and I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, I'm going to ask you to pray for yourselves, and then I'm going to ask you to pray for me. So as we start, here's what I want you to be praying for yourself. I want you to ask the Lord to speak to you right now, and that he would say to you personally, what is your role in the Great Commission? God, tell me what I'm supposed to do, and then give me the fortitude to be able to step into that with boldness. So let's do that now. Go to the Lord and talk to him. Ask him to speak to your heart.
now, if you would, would you pray for me and ask that the Lord would speak through me, that my words wouldn't simply be my words, that God would speak through them, and that I would get out of the way so that we can all see Jesus clearly this morning. Father, you're the one that we want to meet with this morning. We want to see Jesus high and lifted up. We want to see him exalted. We want to be co-laborers with Christ. We want to be effective for the kingdom of God, and we want to be used for the Missio Day. And so, Father, I pray that as we open your word that you would unpack truth for us and that we would be responsive to that, and we'd walk out of here more in love with you than when we walked in and more passionate about the mission of God. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I jump into our passage that Kirsten read for us a moment ago, I want to say two things. Uh, first of all, the passage has a very wide base of application. You might be thinking, it's Mission Sunday and you read from Matthew 4. There's got to be some mistake. No, no mistake. We meant to be there. Um, it's not explicitly missions-oriented, but there are some missional themes here. Um, second, uh, this sermon is not going to be a verse-by-verse -verse exegetical sermon per se. My hope is to draw some big ideas and some big themes so that we can begin to examine our hearts and ask the question, where are the areas of temptation that I'm succumbing to that would hinder me from walking and embracing the Great Commission? So, th so th that's kind of my, my purpose this morning. And so we are in Matthew chapter 4. If you want to open there, uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 4, and it says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, let me stop there. I feel like that was a bit of an understatement. He, was, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. He's hungry. Okay. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So again, here we are, and Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights, and the first thing that Satan does when he comes to him is he starts talking about bread. I hear this, and I get anxious, because if I, get a, if I miss a meal, I get hangry. Anybody else here? The hypoglycemia kicks in, you get hangry. And then if you start talking to me about tacos when I've missed lunch, I'm going to get downright rowdy. See, in that moment, I'm keenly aware of my need. I'm keenly aware of, of something in me that's, that's driving me to something. And that desperation of that need is going to make my impulses take over, influence my decision-making. And then what happens is nothing else matters. Got to get to fuego. That's, that's what's driving me. And so Satan comes to Jesus, and, and this is what he introduces. He identifies an area of need, physical need, that Jesus has, and he approaches him with it and says, hey, there's a way to remedy this. Turn these stones into bread. Here's the deal. He will do the same thing to us. No, he's not going to come and tell you to turn stones to bread, but he is going to identify an area of weakness, an area of need that you have, and he's going to challenge you to meet your own needs rather than trust in the Lord who plans on meeting them. Jesus was undoubtedly hungry, and the first thing that Satan throws at him is a meal of freshly manifested bread. Now, here's the deal. Jesus can manifest bread without it being sinful. In fact, we're going to see that happen later in the gospel accounts. He does it twice, and he feeds multitudes of people by manifesting bread. 
So the, the sin is not manifesting bread. And honestly, the temptation is not ultimately rooted around bread. So what's the real temptation? The real temptation here is to believe that the Father doesn't care about or doesn't know about or can't meet Jesus's physical needs. That's the temptation. The temptation is to then meet a need on his own apart from his Father's provision. And if Satan can get Jesus to begin focusing on meeting his own basic needs, then he's going to ignore the provision of his father, and ultimately, he's probably going to miss the mission that God has for him. And our first point is this, salvation is greater than sustenance. Salvation is greater than sustenance. So here's the question, how does that relate to missions? How does this idea relate to missions? Well, you just heard the truth that 4.7 billion people don't know Jesus, have virtually zero access to the gospel, and some of the thoughts that will begin to come to mind, uh, first of all, when we call say, hey, are you going to be a part of this? The question comes to mind, well, I, I could be a missionary, but I think I might make a lot more money doing something else. Yeah, I, I would uh, like to go, but can you really even afford to feed yourself or feed your family? on a missionary salary, and man, raising my own funds, that, that sounds impossible. I just don't know how all our needs would get met. You see, Satan wants Jesus to doubt God's provision for him and look for a way to provide for himself, and he wants us to do the same thing. Trust in our own abilities to meet our needs because God won't do it. That's what he tells us. And this temptation to meet our own needs, to look elsewhere other than God's provision for us gets really messy. When we do this, what do we say? We tell the Lord that we don't trust him to meet our needs. And when we do this, we elevate our own physical needs over the call of God and the salvation ultimately of people who need to know Jesus. And when asked the question of God, why didn't you engage in the Great Commission? The answer I wanted some tacos is not a good answer. So how do we respond to this temptation? How do we respond to the temptation to meet our own needs and go outside the Father's provision for us? Jesus said it best here. Look at verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first thing that he did here and what he's going to do with every one of these temptations is to utilize God's worth, to hang on to God's word, to hang on to God's truth. And so he quotes scripture to, to combat the temptation. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And this illustrates where sustaining power truly comes from. And spoiler alert, it's not from food. In fact, if a life is sustained purely by food, it is a poorly sustained life because we need to be sustained by the word of God. So the gospel truth is threefold here, really, probably more than that, but three points I want to draw quickly. One, food and basic needs are important, but not exclusively important, and, and perhaps not even of primary importance. The second gospel truth is that food is important and the Lord will provide what we need. Remember, uh, when the Israelites were wandering through the desert, what did God do every single day for them? He provided manna. He met the needs that they had. 
And he will care for us, providing what we need to be able to fulfill the mission that he's called us to do. And the third is this. The salvation of others is of greater importance than sustenance. Listen, if you care more about food in your belly than the salvation of your neighbor, then you don't understand the gospel and you don't understand the mercy and grace of God. So what is our application point? The application point is this. Trust the Lord because he will care for our sustenance while we go about the business of the Missio Dei. We need to have this mentality. If I've been called to devote my life to carrying the gospel to those who don't know, then God will take care of what I need. If you have any doubt about this, you need to go look up Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, memorize those verses, print it on your heart, hold on to this, because it says, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Isn't the life more than food? Isn't it more than drink? It is, isn't the body more than clothing? And he says, consider the birds of the air. They neither reap nor sow, nor do they gather into barns, but the Lord your God provides for them and feeds them and takes care of them. How much more valuable are you than they? If he cares for them, he's going to care for you. Fast forward a couple of verses in Matthew 6, and it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. What is he saying? He's saying, seek God's kingdom and he's going to take care of the need. Part of the reason that we worry about the needs that we have is that we are more concerned with building our own kingdom than God's. Part of the reason that we worry about the needs that we have in our life is because we are more concerned about building our kingdom than building his. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the mission of God, and the Lord will take care of the rest. Salvation is greater than sustenance. Let's look at the next trick that the devil plays. Look at verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So to, to combat the first temptation, Jesus pulls from Scripture, and he, he fights this temptation with Scripture, and he does it again here. He, he holds on to God's word, God's truth. He uh, exalts his, his trust in God's provision for him. And then the devil pulls a page from his own book and he quotes scripture back to Jesus. The devil comes to Jesus and he quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 to 12. And basically what he says to him, look, if you are who you say you are, if you are the son of God, then not one of your feet is even going to strike the ground when you jump off this temple. The, 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 God is, the God of heaven is going to send his angels and they're going to catch you. You won't even bruise a toe. So he, takes, he tries to take Jesus' trust in God the Father and twist it and cause Jesus to forsake the Lord. If you really trust in God's word, then let's see you prove that you trust in God's word. Just take a little leap. See, Satan trust, targets our trust in God and then will twist his word. If he cannot get you to simply distrust the Lord, then he's going to mis, misuse, manipulate the trust that you have in God and then twist God's words. You need to understand this about the enemy. One, he knows God's word probably better than all of us in here. 
Now, the reality is, is that as Christians, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in our heart, which gives us understanding to be able to process God's Word. Satan doesn't have that, but he does know God's Word. The second thing is, is that he will do anything to make you doubt what God has said. He will twist it. He will make you believe that it says something that it doesn't. So again, what's, what's the actual temptation here? Because I don't, I don't think the temptation here is for Jesus to actually jump. What, what's, what's the root underneath all of this? See, I think the temptation is to begin to ask the question, did God really mean it when he said he would protect me? Did God really mean it that he would preserve my life, that he would be concerned about my safety? The temptation is to elevate his own personal safety as the highest value and then to test the Lord to prove it. See, if Satan can make Jesus more concerned about his personal safety than the mission of God, then he will slow and perhaps even stop the mission. Because think about it. If Jesus is more concerned with his personal safety than the mission, then the cross never happens. So the second point is this. Safety isn't a prerequisite for the mission. Safety isn't a prerequisite for the mission. I think that this is one of the largest barriers to people entering into the Missio Dei, entering into mission work. Several years ago, I used to spend every summer taking about 40 to 50 high schoolers down to the Rio Grande Valley, the, the Texas-Mexico border. And we would serve people in the colonias there. These were uh, little border towns just over on this side of the border. And they were primarily filled with Mexican immigrants who had just barely made it into the U.S. And this is kind of where they settled. This is where they landed. And driving through these colonias was like driving through a third world country. You, you couldn't even believe that you're in the United States. They were so unbelievably poor. And every year when we would start putting this trip together, inevitably I would get the same question from parents. You know what the question was? Is it safe? We've been watching the news, man. That border is crazy. Is it safe? And then some parents wouldn't even let their children go on the trip uh, because of the safety concerns that they had. Now, listen, I am not saying that the desire for safety is bad. In fact, we need to be safe on certain things. This is why I don't let my children play with knives. It's not safe. We need to be wise in our daily lives, which is why I would encourage each of you to look both ways before you cross the road. And I would also tell you it's probably a bad idea to climb into the lion's cage at the zoo. There are certain measures of safety that we need to take. However, an unhealthy desire for safety will stop us from answering God's call to go. An unhealthy desire for safety will stop us from answering God's call to go. And here's what will happen. The questions and the thoughts that will be running through your mind, those People are dangerous. There's a lot of disease in that place. That country is hostile to Christians. There's not adequate medical care there. And the list goes on and on and on. And it's all rooted in this idea of personal safety. Listen, I know that this is not going to be well received by many people, but listen, your safety is not of primary concern to the Lord when it comes to accomplishing his mission to save those who don't know him. There have been countless Christ followers who have endured tor torture, persecution, and even death as they've stepped into this great commission. One such man was Jim Elliott, who went to Ecuador 
And if you know the story, he died violently at the hands of those he was trying to evangelize, those he was trying to share this saving message of Jesus with. He's also the same man who famously wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. See, Jim refused to elevate personal safety over the call to bring the hope of the gospel to the lost. So how do we respond to this temptation to elevate personal safety above uh, God's call? Again, what does Jesus do? He uses God's word to fight the temptation. Verse 7, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what's our application? The first one's very simple. Don't test the Lord. Believe him. Believe what he's already said. Live by what he's already said. Trust what he's already said. The second is don't prioritize safety over God's call. Don't be dumb, but don't prioritize safety over God's call. Trust that the Lord's calling on your life will be fulfilled and he will sustain you through that calling, although that calling may be an end similar to Jim's. The third thing is to understand that the Lord has appointed a day and a time for all of us when we will be called home. You will not die a day before you're supposed to, and you will not live past that day at all. That's the day that the Lord has for you. So safety is not a prerequisite for the mission. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to, them, said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. To me, this last temptation, I, I think, is the most brazen Because Satan's attempting to reverse the natural order of things. He wants to see the creator bow down to the created. And he's also offering Jesus something that he ultimately cannot deliver on and he doesn't have final authority over. It would be like somebody coming into your house and saying, listen, if you will bow down to me, if you will pay me the highest honors, then you can have this house. It's all yours. And you're looking at him like, dude, it's already mine. Get out of here. Satan is pushing Jesus towards self-glory apart from the Father. That's the important distinction here. He's pushing him towards self-glory apart from the Father. If, If we look at what Satan is offering Jesus, on paper it actually looks pretty good. The Son of God, perfect and holy, full authority, reign, and rule over all this creation to be able to right all the wrongs and all of this, but at what cost? Jesus would have to bow down to Satan. This would be an embracing of Satan's ways, and it ultimately yields final rule to him. Jesus would have to compromise himself to lay hold of this. Theologian F.V. Filson said it this way, serve the devil and rule the world. In modern terms, be practical, realistic, ready to compromise, The end justifies the means. To help people, you must get position and power. See, sadly, I think that many Christians, myself included, have slipped into moments of this, where we compromise, where we settle, where we try and make our own way. 
because it makes the most sense to us in our minds. Jesus wasn't all about it. And, And again, just as the first temptation wasn't about food and the second temptation wasn't about jumping, this temptation isn't to bow down to Satan and it's also not ultimately about having this great authority and power. I think the temptation was to elevate personal agenda over the Lord's agenda. The temptation is to abandon the Lord's plan because something else looks more appealing. And the temptation is to embrace self-glory instead of the Lord's glory. And so our third point is this, significance isn't found in self-glory. Significance isn't found in self-glory. So what does this look like and how does this hinder our involvement in the Missio Dei? Well, I think it looks like us spending more time thinking about our plans and our agenda than we do about the Lord's plans and his agenda. When I was at the crossroads of deciding if I was going to go into vocational ministry, um, I was offered a pretty good job with the company that I had been working with for several years. And I would have been making several times the amount of money that I was going to make with this ministry job that I was entertaining. And I remember thinking, if I take this job, if I take this, this job with this company that I had been offered, um, there'd be a lot of upside to it. I'd make some good money. I can go work this job for a few years, save up a bunch of cash, um, and then I'll quit, and then I'll do ministry. And, and again, from a worldly perspective, it makes a lot of sense. Ministry doesn't make money. doesn't make good money. And so if I can have it both ways, where I make a bunch of money, I save it up, and then I can do ministry and have the money, then I'd be good. Now, do you see how this temptation is also tied to the first temptation to provide for myself? And here's the deal. The problem is, is that once I got there, I would have gotten accustomed to a certain standard of living, and downshifting from that to a ministry mindset is exceptionally difficult. Not impossible, just difficult. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It is not bad to get a good job and work really hard and make a lot of money. In fact, I'm hoping that a bunch of you do. But I'm hoping that you do that for God's kingdom and God's purposes. That you would make money, that you could fund ministry and missions so that you could be exalting Jesus' name here and to the ends of the earth. But I'm saying that if you're looking for identity, significance, and meaning through that job or through that position, then you are missing the point. I'm saying that we cannot elevate success and our own significance over the mission of God. So how do we respond? Again, look at what Jesus said. Be gone, Satan, verse 10. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He simply tells him to go away. He doesn't entertain uh, the possibilities. He doesn't give the devil a chance to explain. He says, get out of here. And he quotes Deuteronomy 6.13 and 1 Samuel 7.3. And in summary, he says, God's glory is the only glory that matters, and I'm going to bow down to him. So what do we do with this? What do we take it? One, I think we have to be more passionate about the Lord's glory above anything else, especially above our own glory. I think the second thing is to find out how to leverage our whole life in service to him. Whether you're going to be a missionary or a businessman or woman, how are you going to leverage your life for the Missio Day? How are you going to leverage your life to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth? Because significance is not found in self-glory. So where do we go with this? What, 
What do we do? As we close, I want to walk through a few things. First, we prepare ourselves through prayer. We pray. We ask the Lord to move in our hearts. And one of the areas that you can begin praying is you can begin to pray for the focus areas that God has placed in the heart of restoration. There, there are three focus areas globally that, that we're focused on. Obviously, the uh, BCS area, we're focused here, but globally, we're focused on Kenya, we're focused on France, and we're focused on Indonesia. And maybe you know nothing about any of those places. And what I would suggest is, one, jump on joshuaproject.net and just begin to explore what's happening here. What, what is the condition of these places? And, and how accessible is the gospel? So discover more. You can find out about what our ministries are in these places. You can come talk to me. You can talk to Matt Ulrich. We would love to tell you the specifics about the ministries we're working with, the, the people groups that we're working with, the locations where we're serving. And uh, we'll probably talk way too long about it because we're passionate about it. The second thing is prepare. Educate yourself. Take perspectives. If you've never heard about perspectives, go to perspectives.org. There is a class starting in the spring, January 17th. It's happening at Grace Bible on Monday evenings, uh, starting in January. Go take perspectives. Sign up for an Explore Bible study. It's a ministry of CMM, the Center for Mission Mobilization, great partner for RCB. We love them. We are going to be starting Explore groups here at RCB, and you can sign up for that. It's a seven-week study that's going to help give you the tools to become a globally-minded Christian and show you on-ramps to engage no matter where you are. And if that's something you're interested in, scan the QR code on the back of your bulletin and let us know. We'll get you signed up. The third thing is give. Begin to leverage your finances for missions and for ministry. You can give to missions at RCB or you can support those who are going. Listen, we're going to have people that are called inevitably from our church to go. And there's going to need to be finances that help them go and send them. In fact, today, we're going to be commissioning a family from our church, the Schraders, who are going to be headed to the mission field very shortly. They, they, are, have a, they have a little bit left to raise. I think it's 300 bucks a month that they've got left to raise. And, and maybe some of you are going to help them close that gap and get to the mission field. And again, this, after, uh, after, during our last uh, part of the service, we're going to commission them. I want you to pay attention. Go find them after service and figure out how you can join their team, either financially or prayer, both. So do that. And if you don't get a chance to connect with them, again, scan the QR code, let us know. We'll get you connected. The fourth thing is go. Some of you have been called to go. And if you've been called to go and you're a member of RCB, we have been called to send. And maybe this is going to be part of a, a short-term team that will send out a you know, week or two over the summer. Our hope is that we would go to Kenya in May, that we would go to France and Indonesia sometime in, in June or July. So that, that's an option. Then Maybe you want to spend a little bit longer. So perhaps you want to spend all summer or even a gap year exploring this. We would love to have that conversation. We got Sam Stone and Daniel Evans right now who are in France and headed to Indonesia eventually. That's something that we would love to talk to you about. And then some, this is a lifelong call and you know it. You just can't get that out of your head and your heart. And again, if that's the call, we want to walk with you. And we want to partner with a missions agency like World Venture to help send you well and equip you for ministry long term. And lastly, if you've got any other questions, 
about what it would look like to engage missionally, let us know. You can either come pray with us at the end of service, uh, or you can scan the QR code, hey, I want more info. And we'd love to have that conversation. As I close, here's the deal. There are some in here that you just don't know Jesus, right? All this talk about uh, sustenance and safety and significance, it, it, it disconnects because you're searching for all those things in the world. And what you need to do is find them in Jesus and Jesus alone. And when you do that, when you give yourself to Jesus and allow his atoning death and sacrifice on your behalf to redeem you, restore you, renew you, it sets you on a path towards significance. It sets you on a path to where you can engage in this missio day. But you have to have that personal relationship with Christ first. And if that's you, I would beg you to answer the call to come to know Jesus. And at the end of service, I would be honored to pray with you. Pastor Jonathan would be honored to pray, pray with you. Uh, Pastor Kevin, the rest of our staff, we'd love to pray with you. So respond. Let me pray for us.